key. I try to do anything, no, no. it's going to be weird. <laughs> it won't. It'll be good. So. Try to be entertaining. All right. And I told um, Kurt I will try not to swear because... Try not to, to <laughs> try not to. We can put an explicit said, uh, little, little you e can, next. You can add an E. The only kids I know that listen to this is uh, Connor and his friends. I don't know if your kids listen to it. Uh, they, no, they don't. But Connor knows the F word, so it's not going to upset him. So he doesn't say it, but he knows it. So, Hello and welcome to this episode of Totally 80s and 90s Recall. If you're new to the podcast, we're so glad you're here. And for our returning listeners, thank you so much for your support. Do you remember playing Atari or listening to a Walkman? Maybe using your dial-up internet to log on for the first time? Or perhaps the most famous zip code in the world, 90210? If so, this is the podcast for you. I am one of your hosts, David Ohl, along with my good friend Robert, Mr. Rob McCracken. Hey, uh, this is a fun one. Yeah, this I'm is. I'm excited for today. This is a good one. Uh Question for you. If you could go back in time and relieve, relive any part of your life, would you? And if so, what mo- what moment would you relive? So that's... Yeah, it's for, for you. Yeah. Um, I would say now I wouldn't relive anything because everything that's got me to the point I am, if you relive something, you might change those events, right? Um, but I guess uh, if I could go back and play baseball again in high school, maybe I'd relive that because I really liked playing baseball, like competitive tournament sure. style baseball. And I don't do that anymore. Sure. So if I could relive that, I guess that'd be the one thing I could go back and do again. Okay. All right. That's what about fine. you? Uh, gosh. Um, I don't know. I, I think I'm with you. I would. I don't think I would relive anything. Nothing. But, uh, Not even no. when your truck got hammered in front of my house. No. No. I you don't want to relive that. You want to relive. I don't want to relive. You just want to leave that where it is. I want to leave that where it's at. You love that truck. Got smashed. All the heck. Do you still have that piece of the Ford symbol still, to this day? Still hangs from my rear mirror. Well, that's uh, that's something. Well, this is exciting. For our fifth episode, we have brought in a special guest, Aubrey Terrell. Aubrey is my sister-in-law and an avid movie fan. I have known her since I met my wife, her sister, about 25 years ago. And Rob has known her since college, so about 24 years ago. And with that, we will say welcome to the show, Aubrey. Hello. <laughs> That's it? Just well, hello? Thanks for having me. Thanks for having me. I'm glad to be you. your first guest. Yeah. I think it's a good choice. It is a good choice. Our first guest. So, and how did you, and we know how, obviously, we met because I'm married. I'm part of the family. Mm-hmm. You're part of the extended family. Yeah. My my wife and Aubrey were buddies. Yep. And so that's how I, I met. I actually met. You, I think, probably before Paula. Yes. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. You so I was hanging out with Dave and yeah. you guys worked together. We were running the same. Yes, we worked at the yeah. conference center together. Yeah. That was actually after, though. Mm-hmm. Yeah, after. Yes. But you, that's how you spent more time to probably get mm-hmm. to know each other better. Yes. And then I think I actually called you when I met Paula. I think you. Met I think Paula. we called. I think she called you and I called you because we liked each other. Possibly. And so then we called you because yes. you were the you were the yeah. So you guys went sure for that. The you were the go between, yeah. But you had yep. a girlfriend. So you did. I, I some, did. You did. Yeah, I, I did. knew before. Yeah. So I did you guys did. do like the junior high thing where you are asking Aubrey, "Does she like me?" Exactly. Can how you I tell her that's that exactly I like her? Because <laughs> you were in college and probably <laughs> shouldn't have been doing that, but no. okay. That's exactly what we did. <laughs> so passing notes and saying, you know, check box yes or something. Not. Much, it's not, not far much off. Different. It's not far off. Not far off. No. Well, we're excited to have her here, uh, and she's going to 
provide a different point of view than you and I, and maybe people are tired of hearing our voices, so this gives us a bright, new, cheery voice that we don't bring to this. Both of us are very, you know, deep-throated, so um, this gives her a nice high. I don't like that term. Yeah, you cannot like it. I don't like it. It makes me feel funny. Well, that's because your mind immediately went in the gutter. (laughs) It just means we have a lot of bass in our voice. That's all it really meant, but you can have it be the uh, childish version of what you thought it was, (laughs) right? So, Well, on this podcast, we will cover and discuss all things 80s and 90s, from music and movies to television and pop culture. We'll do this by compiling lists for each episode of the selected topic, hopefully creating some fun and nostalgia along the way. For this episode, we will be discussing the classic Bill Murray movie, Groundhog Day, in honor of the upcoming holiday of the same name. Since this is an episode covering just one movie, we have made lists just with a little twist. Each of us will give our top three moments, quotes, or scenes from Groundhog Day. Uh, But before we dive into the movie, I'd like to ask each of you to tell me about What's the first time you remember seeing Groundhog Day uh, and what your th- first thoughts of it were? If you can remember that far back. Uh, I actually can't remember the first time I actually saw um, it, yeah. but I guarantee it was in the movie theater because I saw everything in the movie theaters. Mm-hmm. Was it 93? When did this even come out? 93. 93. Okay. Yep. I'm good on that. So I'm sure I saw it in the movie theater. You were in high school by then. No. 93? Uh, that when it came out. I was oh, either okay. eighth grade or freshman. Okay. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I'm I'm with you. I don't remember seeing it, and I, so this this re this research has been really good because I never I don't remember watching it you at all. I I don't. I I oh. knew it existed, but I couldn't. Wow. And I remember parts of it, and I but I, man. So, so I saw was, this. I saw this I'm the first time bummed that I didn't. Yeah, you it's missed a, out. It's actually a really good movie. It is. I saw this <laughs> first time. I think at Ryan's house. And a bunch of friends were over there. They had we'd rented it, and it was in '93. It was after it came out on video. Obviously, I didn't see it in the theater, but I just remember everyone else was kind of talking, but I was dying. Like I thought it was the best thing. I thought it was the funniest thing I'd seen since probably Spaceballs, you know, or Hot Shots. <laughs> Again, not, but, uh, <laughs> not not comparisons that people normally perfect make. comparisons. But uh, I like I've always my humor's always been. Dry, I like dry, sarcastic type. So mm-hmm. I've, I've always liked Bill Murray anyway. Mm-hmm. So this was right there for me. So I liked it from the first time I saw it. And I've always watched it. Um, and now me and my family, we watch it every Groundhog Day. We watch the movie. And we end up watching it a couple times during the year because AMC and other channels tend to just rerun it over and over again. So but so literally, this is the first time you remember seeing it? Yeah. Uh, I know I've watched it, but I I don't know that I paid attention to it. I don't okay. know that I gave it much analysis. That's crazy. I can't believe, um, yeah, I can't believe you went that long without seeing it. So, well, with that, let's jump in the van and head on over to Punks of Tony. But don't drive angry and join us as we take a look back at Groundhog, Groundhog Day. Day. So Groundhog Day is a 1993 movie directed by Harold Ramis, starring Bill Murray, Andy McDowell, Chris Elliott, and Stephen Tobolo, uh, who plays Ned Ryerson, and a host of other character actors. Uh, this got a 94% on Rotten Tomatoes, 88% on audience, so everybody loves it. Uh, classic movie. And so what is this movie about? Well, a quick plot is the main character of Bill Murray, Phil Connors, he's a weatherman in Pittsburgh. 
He has to go out to Punxsutawney to report on the groundhog. He's a very egocentric. Uh, he thinks he's better than everybody else. Um, and he thinks this report is beneath him. He gets out there and after the first day, the first groundhog day, he goes into a loop where he's reliving groundhog day over and over and over again. Um, and so through all those days, hilarity ensues, different situations, things like that. And then we eventually get to the end where he figures out a way to get out of the loop and get back on with his life. So that is the plot for the most part of groundhog day. Um, so what do we want to talk about first? I don't know. You, you, you lead us. So the first thing I would say is, so if you haven't seen the movie, spoiler alert, we're going to talk about it. Mm -hmm. So pause, go watch it, come back. Um, by this time you probably should have seen it, but as we learned with Rob, maybe there are people that haven't watched Groundhog Day. So it could be, that could be a thing. So the original script, he was supposed to be stuck in the loop that we're talking about Mm -hmm. for 10,000 years, uh, which is a long time, but Harold Ramis got a hold of it and he thought that was too long. So they've never actually said how long the loop that he's in. That was the question I was going to ask yeah. is do they ever. No one ever no? answered it. Okay. Harold Ramis never answered it. No one's officially answered it. But there's some scientists online that have gone and done some math saying for all the things he learns, for what mm-hmm. he does, all this. They did some math and they came up with their best guess is 33 years, 350 days. And he repeats the day 12,395 times. Mm-hmm. So that is. As of today, uh, or previous research, that is what they say how long Bill Murray was in Groundhog Day, that he just kept reliving it over and over again, which is a ridiculously long time. Mm-hmm. That is very specific also. Yeah. 30, what was that? 30, <laughs> 30 what? 30, 33 years. 33 years. 350 days. So almost okay. 34 years. Yeah. Okay. Right? So so almost 34 years. And another thing I found out, it wasn't even filmed in Punxsutawney. None of it. Uh, not even in Pennsylvania. It was filmed in Woodstock, Illinois, the entire movie. Um, and they, uh, they picked Punk's Tony cause that's where the groundhog's from. But when they went there, they said that the town didn't quite look as friendly and Americana as they were hoping for. Mm-hmm. So they found this Woodstock, Illinois, it met what they were looking for with all the little cafes and all that stuff and the park. They liked the big park. Mm-hmm. And so that's where it got filmed. And Gobbler's Knob is a real place. True. It is. Yeah. That should be the name of like a nineties <laughs> band, right? <laughs> Gobbler's Knob. Uh, that's funny. like opening for Weezer. Yeah. Gobbler's Knob. It's right up there with Chipmunk Tube Top. That's I would what say I was going to say as soon as I heard that. Chipmunk Tube Top. <laughs> um, I, I will say uh, one of the things I found was that the opening song, uh, I'm Your Weatherman. It's awful. It's awful, but it, the guy that wrote it, he's he was inducted into the Texas Heritage Songwriters Hall of Fame. He's no slouch. That song was. Real deal. Yeah, I got it. So what I do like about 80s and 90s movies is they would write songs for the movies, Uh right? And it would kind of tell you about the movie. They did this with TV shows too. They don't do that anymore. Now you just pick a popular song, tie it to the movie, and you move on. But this song is called The Weatherman. And if you just listen to it, it's it's every cheesy 90s sounding song possible. (laughs) And it's talking about, you know, they're using Weatherman as a, you know, analogy. It's just really, it's, they could have done better. Like for everything that's great about this movie, I really don't like that song <laughs> at all. Wow, I thought it was pretty good. It's so cheesy. <laughs> it's pretty cheesy. <laughs> so what, what? What do you got? Uh, 
Not much until I get into my. Thing. Not until you get in your thing. Into my uh-huh. list. Well, just give us some general, like you know, rewatching what what you think about it or memorable things, things like that. You know. Um, I like you rewatch it every year. Mm-hmm. We just take it out basically on Groundhog's Day, so took it out a little early this year because I had to watch it twice for this special episode. <laughs> um, I don't really watch it any other time, even though I love it. I don't do a lot of repeat movies mm-hmm. like this one, except for on. A specific day like this, so or like Halloween and Christmas, European movies well, for those. Yeah, but that's a special occasion Holiday. like this. Yeah. So mm-hmm. kind of like November fifth. Yeah, we always watch V. So V. Yeah. So <laughs> that what? is a good one. Yeah, V for Vendetta. Oh, V for for Vendetta. Yes. You watch that on a... November fifth every year. Is that a thing? It is. Yeah. If you've seen V. if you've seen the movie, you would know oh, yeah. what okay. it is. But it's not nineties, so. so or eighties. That's so. all right. I won't get into that. It's not 90s or 80s. No. Note to sell. Yes. Well, another thing. uh, So a few things I saw on it that, you know, as you're going through the loop of stuff. So this is silly, but it's just continuity based. So Punxsutawney, I looked it up. It's about an hour 45 to two hours from Pittsburgh, which is where they're coming from. And they leave after the five o'clock news. And if you watch the movie, Bill Murray's the last thing on the news. So it's 530. So let's say they get out to the van and leave. Between 5.30 and 6. So they're not arriving till 7.45, 8 p.m. at night in Punxsutawney. It's bright as day out there. True. And I can tell you in February in Pennsylvania, it's not going to be that. Mm-hmm. So them arriving in the daytime didn't make a whole lot of sense. Uh, the first, this is the last few times I've, I've watched it. So just a continuity thing. You can't, I guess you can't get around it, but that's that's what it was. Yeah. The flip side of that, I also looked, they said sunrise would actually be at 7.30 not 6 a.m. and yeah it's bright oh. bright bright is, wow yeah when up, he wakes up so yeah, up and ready to go because yeah. when he it looks out the window pitch black. <laughs> bright. pitch black in february obviously daylight savings all the good stuff mm-hmm. right so well a few things i saw and hopefully this doesn't get into anything with anybody's list but just another couple continuity things so when he's in the loop you know he's going through several situations i have one where he's in the car with a couple locals they're driving mm-hmm. on railroad tracks mm-hmm. And the cop is directly behind them. And at the last second, Bill Murray swerves out of the way to get off the railroad tracks and not hit a train. Yeah, That cop car is cop directly behind them. There is no world that cop car doesn't get completely destroyed. So, you know, I know that the day is going to restart so those cops won't be dead. Mm-hmm. But Bill Murray just kind of haphazardly just hung those cops out to dry. I don't think cops would follow them on the railroad tracks anyway. I don't know. That's a good practice. Uh, <laughs> they would have just gone to the other points and waited for him, I think, so. But uh, and another one is uh, Buster Green. He's Brian Doyle Murray, his brother. Mm-hmm. So once Bill Murray, Phil Connor starts figuring out the days, he does one of his routines where he goes and gives him the Heinlein maneuver and saves him. Yes. But early in the movie, he doesn't know that and doesn't do it. So in the original day of Groundhog Day, Buster Green dies every day because oh, no one in that yeah. restaurant is trying to save him. Everyone True. is sitting there just watching him choke to death until Phil shows up. No one's calling the cops. No one's calling an ambulance. Mm-hmm. No one's doing anything. They're just sitting there uh, eating. People were still eating. You could watch behind uh, every time you see the scene. So, uh, you know, for butterfly effect, Buster's supposed to die that day. And, you know, so he, he turned the whole world upside down uh, by saving his life. Interesting. So, so would then Bill Murray's character, would he have seen that he died? I don't know. He, and then he well, he found changes out it, the, you know what I mean? Well, at some point he figured out that he chokes at that lunch. 
that becomes part of his routine to go help, like the kid falling out, out of the, the tree. tree. Yeah. Right. So it becomes so okay. through some series of events in those thirty three years, he figured out uh, Buster always chokes at lunch from eating too big a piece of steak or whatever. Mm-hmm. So he shows up to save him. We don't know how many times he did that. True. He did it enough times he knew exactly what time to show up yeah. there. So yeah, because he's not eating there. He literally just walks in, doesn't yeah. he? Yeah, he does the runs Heimlich in. and yeah, runs in, does the Heimlich, lights the lady's lights cigarette, the cigarette, leaves. <laughs> so that's on yeah. his. It's it's like with the jacking up the lady's yeah. car. He knows they're getting a flat right there. Right. So he's got a whole pattern in his head. So Buster was before though when he doesn't have that pattern. Remember when he was just doing his own thing, trying to get a date with Rita, all these other things. He doesn't know all that, so Buster's dying. Uh, mm-hmm. Usually, he's dying. So, I found that interesting. He changed all that around. So, mm-hmm. which is maybe a like, good call. Yeah. So, um, but my question here's a big question: mm-hmm. How does he get out of the loop? All right. The movie mm-hmm. would have you think. I I believe their message is at the end he gets out of the loop because he's become a really good person. Mm-hmm. Andy McDowell now trusts him instead of him trying to like just get the date to score with her. All that's there. Mm-hmm. But I don't think that's factual because Andy McDowell already trusts him. There's a scene before he goes into all that with piano playing where she stayed and she goes at midnight. She's like, oh, aren't we supposed to disappear or something? And he says that, um, no, it's 6 a.m. And she goes, well, you know, I was waiting for midnight. He goes, do you want to leave? She said no. And she stays all night. Mm-hmm. But then the next morning she's not there. So he's already gained her trust. So we got that solved. Mm-hmm. And we don't know how many times he's been doing these good deeds but it's enough that, again, he knows the kid falls out of the tree at this time, that Buster's choking at this time. So it wasn't – I don't know that it's just the good deeds and impressing Andy McDowell anymore that gets him out of the loop. So how does he get out of the loop? Mm-hmm. I, well, I, I have a theory, but I, I might want to save it for later. I don't know. Wait. So there – well, I'll try to – what do you think? How do you think he got out of the loop? I think it is the good deeds, but probably mm-hmm. that he's not – trying to do them so he gets attention for it he just it becomes that he becomes a good guy it's not about but him. even though he gets all the attention because at the dance everyone's like dr connor's this or yes. he fills yes. the honorary guy of punks mm-hmm. true but i don't think that's why he's initially doing mm-hmm. it i think he he's seen these people so many times that he's mm-hmm. like oh he's like this is a cool mayor guy like he yeah. do you know what i mean so it's like yeah, yeah i I think for me, it's the dying to self where he he's no longer helping uh, others for personal gain. Right. You know, he's helping people to help people. To actually know, the, be altruistic. So, yeah. yeah. I mean, I can see that, but it feels like he'd done that and then he didn't. Yeah. So a couple other things, though, about the script. Harold Ramis got a hold of it. It wasn't really a comedy when it first got written. It was like a dark script. And originally, um, he was like, there were some weird things in the script. Like, ultimately, he killed everybody in town at least once just because he was trying to figure out how to get out of the loop. He blew up the bed and breakfast. He, there was a whole bunch of things like that. Well, I had read that his girlfriend put a curse on him, like that that was curse. supposed to be how he yeah. got into it. Was that, that a, well, there's a, a, a girlfriend that was, you know, yeah. a jaded girlfriend put a curse on him or something like that? Well, there's a fan theory that. So Ned Ryerson, if you've watched the movie, we know who Ned is. He's kind of the annoying guy who says he knew Bill mm-hmm. Murray, Phil Connors, in high school. And everyone says the first day, he runs into him right away. And then right after their first exchange, he steps in a puddle. And everybody says that the fan theory is Ned Ryerson's actually what got him in the loop. Ned Ryerson is by de facto whatever you want to call him, death, the devil, whatever it is. Mm-hmm. 
And when they had their exchange, he put Bill Murray into the loop. And the reason that they have that theory is because, as I was just saying before, you do all these other things and he never gets out of the loop. But on that last day, when he comes out of the dance, Ned runs into him and he says, I haven't seen this guy in 30 years. He came to me today and bought whole term dismemberment. He buys all the insurance he can buy. And so the fans theory is that he sold his soul to Ned Ryerson, who is the de facto devil again. And then when he sold the soul, signing for all that life insurance, he let him out of the loop. And then the next morning he was out of the loop with, you know, Rita. So. I, I think that theory holds weight. I have an, I have a rebuttal to that theory. Uh, but I do think that there's something to be said about the tension between good and evil. One thing that I that I noticed in the film is the colors of blue and red. So if you if you watch the movie and you watch it, I think they use colors at strategic times, blue and red. Uh, the scene where he steps in the puddle when they pull the camera back, uh, the curtain on this on the restaurant is red. The sign in the windows red. The mailbox is red. Um, and then there are other times in the movie where there, uh, uh, Rita, she's always wearing a blue coat. Um, uh, there's, there's a constant, even, and this is probably looking too much into it. Uh, the police cars lights blue and red. They're two separate colors. Um, there's a scene where he's in the, he's gotten caught in the snowstorm and he's calling his, he's, he's asking his resource on the phone and he's saying, what is there a snowstorm in, in space? And in the background, there's, uh, a row of blue um, uh, window uh, melt for your car, and then red gas cans. It's and he's standing in the middle and it's well, split. So I do think there's something intentional about the tension between good and yeah. evil. Well, and the Ned Ryerson thing too is that when he first comes up to him, Ned says, "We went to high school together." Phil Connors can't remember him. That's fine. Maybe you don't remember everybody from high school, but. He goes so far to say, I went to the prom with your sister. I mean, there are some interesting facts in there that you'd think Phil would at least have a recall. No idea who he is. Mm -hmm. And so Phil uses that same technique on Nancy Taylor later where he pretends he knew her from way back, mm -hmm. but he didn't. So maybe that could be some foreshadowing on that too. That mm -hmm. Look, people say I knew you in high school and a lot of people will be like, oh yeah. you know. I mean, except for Aubrey. Because uh, for, for anybody who doesn't know, she graduated like eight other people or whatever it was. What was uh. it? think we had 12. 12. So or they, she, she was in the big class. Yep. Um, but yeah, real small school. So yeah. yeah, if somebody told you they didn't know you or did know you, mm -hmm. you would know. Right, right. Uh, but Rob and I went to a 1500 kid high school. So if somebody said they came up to us, uh, I knew a lot of people. But 300, I could 300 probably, kids in your graduating class. Yeah, so. I'll just go, yeah, that's fine. Yeah, yeah, I probably knew you. So same thing. So Ned knows that. And he could use that to his advantage mm -hmm. to get him, you know, and then when they touch, maybe that's what put him in the loop. Some say it's the touch, the hug, or the stepping in the puddle. See, see, my my rebuttal to that theory is that Ned Ryerson is not evil; he's actually good. At the end, at the end of the movie, he says, "I haven't seen this guy in twenty years, and he's bought the insurance." I don't think the insurance is selling your soul. I think the insurance is. I think twenty years ago he walked away from his faith, and he's coming back into it. And he's he's bought the insurance, mm -hmm. which is you know, your relationship yeah. with God. And so, and well, actually there's a really cool scene at the end when he's shaking his hand in the little lobby there and they actually, it they use a, a, a it's a cinematic uh, um, 
a trick a technique that there they do go. uh where it almost looks like he has a halo and oh, okay. it, um so i i think i think it's the opposite of that theory but, no. well okay. when i saw the good and bad thing the other thing I saw was, well, Ned's the de facto death or whatever mm-hmm. he is. That bartender in the bar. Yes. He's like the angel or mm-hmm. God overlooking to make sure Ned doesn't get out of control because he's always there. He's listening to everyone's problems. Mm-hmm. He's part of all these situations. They always end up at the bar talking while that guy's around. But he never says anything. He's just kind of there watching and, and things mm-hmm. like that. Yeah. I, I, I like Rob's theory mm-hmm. about Ned being kind of the good guy, kind of like mm-hmm. a conscious, like he knows mm-hmm. at the beginning, Phil's not the greatest guy. Mm-hmm. So maybe he puts him in the loop to redeem him and it takes that long and it takes, mm-hmm. I never thought about that. I've yeah. heard, I've heard the other one, Yeah, but I, I do like that. It's a little more upbeat and positive. It's more I'm going to go with that one. That's because you want Ned <laughs> to be the good guy. Well, but he's super like annoying Ned. though. Yeah. No, yeah. like, yeah. I mean, he's great. He's perfect. The whistling um, belly button trick. Yeah. Because <laughs> if you notice... The truck is red. The car is red. Um, I, I just think there's something there with the colors red and blue. So oh. that, well, there, I, I would still say that them just having you believed it just because Annie McDowell likes him now and he's doing these good deeds is what takes him out of the loop. I don't know that that tracks because yeah. other parts of the movie don't necessarily lead to that. But that could just be the way they cut the movie and not really. Mm-hmm. We could be overthinking. It is a Bill Murray movie about a groundhog. <laughs> So we could be going too far yeah. into it. So another fun fact I saw. So we, we can get off the you know sad facts of mm-hmm. how he gets there. Um, when he drives with the the groundhog in the car, in real life, when they did that scene, he had to get like multiple rabies shots because that thing kept biting him, the the groundhog. Oh, I did not know that. Yeah. So he had to uh, like twice he had to go get rabies shots from the onset doctor, whoever, because uh, yeah, that uh, when they're driving in the truck, he gets a little bitey. Well, we heard a fun fact. Um, Kurt actually found it that the original groundhog, something happened to it, like the type that would normally be in the movie. Mm-hmm. So they actually got that groundhog out in the in the nature wild. and stuck it in the movie. So I'm like, well, no wonder he's biting <laughs> well, yeah, people. Yeah, not trained at all. Not trained. Like <laughs> I thought that was strange. I was like, they couldn't. There's no other groundhog because I wouldn't. Yeah, you can have rabies shots if you're having a wild animal bite you. Oh yeah, yeah. I didn't know that either. <laughs> I thought I knew everything about it. I didn't know that. Yeah, just let's just go grab a random yeah uh, right? groundhog and see if he works right. So, uh, one sad note of this movie though is Bill Murray and Harold Ramis had such a terrible time making this movie because uh, Bill Murray's not the best, I guess, when you direct him. He shows up late or sometimes not at all or things like that. He yeah, ad libs a lot. Yeah, yeah, and he, yeah. well, he ad-libbed quite a bit, but I think you get that with him whether you want it or not. But he, um, after this movie, Harold Ramis and him didn't talk until like 30, 25, 30 years mm-hmm. when Harold Ramis was basically sick to where he mm-hmm. was, you Dying. know, now that he's passed away. Mm-hmm. Uh, then Bill Murray went and saw him and they buried the hatchet and everything. But for like 30 years, they didn't talk. Mm-hmm. And so we lost, what, 30 years of possible other movies right. from mm-hmm. those two, something like that. And Harold Ramis was in the movie. Correct. He was. He's doctor. a very small part, but yeah. doctor. Yeah, yeah. yeah. He's yeah. the yeah. He's the, the brain one scans who, or whatever. Yeah, he refers yeah. him mm-hmm. to the uh, psychologist. Psychologist who right. uh, says, "I think we should meet again <laughs> tomorrow." So, <laughs> yeah. says, "Is that not good for you?" Right. So, yeah, and he questions him about his degree. You. He does. He, he says, says <laughs> something about like you didn't. It wasn't veterinary. veterinary school. Yeah, it wasn't veterinary <laughs> psychology, right? And he said, the guy's like, yeah, I, abnormal psychology. So, yes. 
But uh, hey, uh, a question I have down here: Is there a significance in the song that pops up every morning? I, I couldn't just, find. Is any that scenarios. just I think the song that was playing? As good of a song as it is, would you want to hear that every oh, morning? Right. I think it's just you know, right? Yeah. I couldn't find anything that it meant anything other than yeah. it feels like they just picked a song. And yeah, could you imagine hearing that? Too? There's lots of songs I love. But if I heard them every morning right on cue, I might jump off a building too, right? right? So, but yeah, and maybe some people feel like that about Sonny and Cher. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Sonny and Cher wasn't from my era, but, um, you know, definitely. So another thing I'll say about this movie. So before this movie, if anyone said something about Groundhog Day, all it meant was the holiday. This movie actually made the term Groundhog Day a term in real life now where you say oh, this is X is, or my job is like Groundhog Day, or this is like Groundhog Day, which everyone knows means it's the same thing over and over and over again. Before this movie, that didn't exist. People didn't use that as a term. And now people say that when they're referring to something like a mundane task or something that repeats constantly on them. No, that, that is true. I actually found that note as well. It's in my notes too. Yeah, so it kind of changed, mm-hmm. you know, language, you know. So people use that term now where they never used it before. Because before this, and uh, that's not a holiday anyone even cared about. Uh, you got a day off from school, so that's mm-hmm. good. But you did? Other, we never did. Think no. We, did we not? Oh, maybe you no. don't get a day off from no. school. No. So it was just a holiday no one actually cared about. Yeah. Like you'd hear, I mean, I think I heard on the news once in a while he saw a shadow or he didn't, but I probably couldn't have cared any less about that. So, yeah, I would say that this put Groundhog Day on the map. It's now a holiday, and people have gone to Punxsutawney, and what I mentioned earlier is it's filmed in Woodstock and people have put online that they're disappointed. They show up and it's like, this doesn't look like they should do more the research. movie, right? So uh, it doesn't look like the movie at all. They're looking for that bed and breakfast, but you got to go to Illinois to find it. So Let's see. Um, what else do you guys have? I think that, I mean, that's a lot parts of the movie. Mm-hmm. I mean, we've discussed, you know, everywhere we're going to go uh, as far as the plot and Who's in it? I don't like Annie McDowell's clothes. I've I've always been a strong proponent of that. Like they dress her like a forty year old house, like a stay at home mom or something. She's you, got these big you vests agree? on and no, he just always brings it up. I do. <laughs> I talk about. I don't it understand. Movie. Other girls in the movie are wearing like dresses or they're mm-hmm. dressing nice, and Annie McDowell's got on like her jackets are too big mm-hmm. for her. Her vest. She's got these vests. I don't. Vests were vests a thing in the, in the 90s? Yes. That big? A professional, yeah. Those professional were like, vests? Well, she's it's her casual professional. Yeah, I guess. Those high-waisted jeans that were kind of, yeah. I guess the mom jeans. They're coming the back, jeans. man. Yeah, I, I've told, and I've told Aubrey this. It reminds me of that Saturday Night Live skit where they yeah. talk about the mom jeans. It's that same <laughs> skit, those jeans, that vest. Um, it's just interesting because Bill Murray is supposed to be like lusting after her. But they make no effort to dress her up to where you'd want to be like, mm. she's the hottest girl in town. I mean, they make no effort. She's like the girl next door, though. Like, mm-hmm. Yeah, who studies French poetry. Yes. So next, yeah, and, just like any girl next door. And I think that says something, because when he first uh, acknowledges the loop, the first person he goes to is her. It is. He goes straight to her and says, I got I to talk to you. I got to talk to you. You know, I have another thing about the loop is he accepts that loop pretty fast. Like by the second day, he's like, I'm immortal. And he goes, oh, yeah. we're going to drive on railroad I'm, tracks. Oh, my God. We're going to do all that stuff. I mean, within two to three days, he's just gone from 
this is unbelievable to, I can just do whatever I want. Mm-hmm. I feel like there'd be a longer adjustment period than, and he's pretty, pretty gutsy to get himself arrested and all that, like on the third day. Um, if that doesn't work out right now, you're in jail. You got right? some problems. Uh, I just feel like he would have tested that out a little further before he, uh, getting arrested wouldn't have been my test because if it fails, I'm in jail now. Uh, I would have done something else. Mm-hmm. You know, something easy like breaking the pencil. Getting, that, getting a yeah. tattoo. Getting a tattoo. Yeah, is it not here tomorrow? Right. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Because you could live with that afterwards if the day ended. But yeah. I'm, I'm just saying it went from, you know, the first one or two days where he was a little like, I don't know what's happening to immediately like, yeah, I'm just going to rob a bank. I'm going to do all these things. Yeah, it does. Because when she it asks does. him if he's checking out, he's like 100%. Yeah. Day that two, he's like 75, 75, 80. 75 80. Yeah. It's like, yeah. hmm. Fast. Will, yeah. Like on the second day, he's already like seventy five eighty. Yeah. So he's accepting mm-hmm. that quickly. this might happen. Yeah. Yeah. So good point. I mean, you got to get this in within ninety minutes. So I got it. True. Got to get the movie. <laughs> got to get the story going. Uh, but I just thought he came to terms with it very quickly. Um, and so I, I don't know. It it probably works again because you got to keep the movie along. But mm-hmm. uh, I just, think I'd have more adjustment time than yeah. he did. Although I'm more just assuming that's day two. Maybe it's like. Really, two weeks are gone by. You know, uh-huh. they need to put it like SpongeBob, where they're like two weeks later. Yeah, yeah, maybe <laughs> because it could have been. Mm-hmm. But we're just seeing it as day two. Yeah. But I early know. on, I think it's day know. two because he tells her, or he tells that person walking in the street, who's his piano teacher later. He says, "Where's everyone going?" She said, "Gobbler's mm-hmm. Knob." And he goes, "Oh, I thought it's Groundhog Day." And he goes, "I thought that was yesterday." Right, right. and he it's does say that to the guy in the stairs. Year, right, still just, just one day right. a year. So. Yeah. Wait, we were trying true. to when he was doing the. Nancy, uh, no, not Nancy, Rita, and she's slapping him oh, yeah. like nine times. Yeah, we were trying to, it was nine times we counted. So then we were trying to do the math there and figure out, you know, how many of those were fast tracked and then were there I'd, more in between. I'd be interested and, to know how long he spent on the Rita thing because you realize he memorized food, ice creams, all these things. He learned French. He learned yeah. French. Well, I, I Googled, I just, I Googled the question. Is that how long would he it spent what, years uh, getting to know her? How yeah. long would it take you to learn? To play the piano. And I said, if you want to be a professional classical performer, you're looking at a minimum of 10 to 15 years of concentrated study with a master teacher and hours of practice every day. Most people who want, to, yeah, so 10 to 15 years minimum. So, yeah, that's. And that's every day. Yeah, sitting, those, you know. those folk online that figured out the 33 years, that's part of where their calculation is. So, if he learned French, if he learned the piano, ice sculpting, ice sculpting, which is not an easy thing to do, like, and then just getting to know. He knows everyone in town mm-hmm. because when he does in the diner where he's like, this is such and such, they've been here for this long. He knows everyone in town. So for him to take that much time to get to know everybody's story, everybody's background, learn all these tr- uh, you know, activities that he's doing, uh, 33 years makes starts to make sense. You know, So that's a long time. Um, one thing that I have in my notes that for me is a theme is the panhandler. Oh, yeah. For me, that's the... There's a there's a line in the movie. I don't think I picked it as my one of my top ones, but that to me that that's the that's the crux of the movie right there. That's is the is that character that's and his relationship. Point. So in the with, movie he's with, part of the loop as well. We just be, don't know what part he's in. Because there's a there's a scene where he finds him in the alley and he's not doing well. And the well one, he calls him father. Yeah. Which I think is interesting. Does he? He says, I miss "Yeah, he does. Yeah. He, he does calls do him that. father. Mm-hmm. He calls him pop, father, um, dad, um, and uh, he the the old man uh, looks as if he recognizes him. 
He yeah. gives it. He he like. Oh, hey, I remember you. Um, so I think there's more to the panhandler uh, character that uh, isn't talked about much. But well, again, those are all great theories, and we may have gone too deep because this is Harold Ramis and Bill Murray, <laughs> so they were probably just drinking beer and doing other things, and then just wrote scripts out. So uh, we might be going. These are the guys who you know did Caddyshack. So I don't think there's any deeper <laughs> meaning to that movie at all. So uh, well. We've discussed all parts of this movie, so I think it's time we can move on and reveal our lists. Uh, again, we've just each got a top three list of our favorite movie phrase, scene, something in the movie. And because we're so excited to have our guest here today, we're going to let Aubrey, uh, Rob usually does it because he, he likes to go first on everything, but we're going to let you lead us off today with your number three. Okay, my number three, it's a scene not really one specific line in it, but um, the Jeopardy scene in the oh. yeah. bed and breakfast with the old people. Oh, it's one of the hear, days where... I want to hear this. I love it. It's basically a, kind of the beginning part when he's giving up. It's like, mm-hmm. yeah. he's like, okay, this, you know, he's in his pajamas. bottle of Jack. Yeah, mm-hmm. it's the end of the day. They're watching Jeopardy and he's just sitting there with popcorn and he does have a bottle of alcohol. He's just drinking alcohol, watching Jeopardy, but he knows all the answers. So he's saying them and all the old people are just like, you know, he gets the first one right, and they look at him like, uh-huh. oh, cool. Then just repeatedly gets yeah. every answer right They're before the question is even, <laughs> oh, yeah. or the answer is even asked, mm-hmm. and he's just staring at him, and he just deadpan Bill Murray, just yeah. like titty caca. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and their faces, and then at the end, all the old people are just clapping, and it, it just, it's just a funny scene. Well, and doesn't he, at one point, I mean, he's, he's timing it pretty well where he's letting him ask the question. And he's answering it, question, answer, question. And then he looks at the innkeeper. Yeah, that's what she yeah. just yeah. said. And yeah. just, and just says the answer before yeah, the question mid, even came. Yeah. Like mid, <laughs> that's mid why, Jeopardy, yeah. you know, so Alex good. Trebek asking. And yeah. he just looks at her and just, just says <laughs> no, just no, no just mm-hmm. blank face. It's well, just, and those old people good scene. are so impressed and they're so that excited. he knows that stuff that quick I they mean, literally they've never seen clap. anyone that smart yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. they clap in the bed and breakfast yeah so in the bed and breakfast <laughs> owner she's just flabbergasted oh, just yeah. like yeah. <gasps> by the way yeah. he yeah. in that bed and breakfast he's the youngest person by 30 years oh, staying in that bed in and that breakfast. scene though there's a couple on the couch way behind them and they're about mm. his oh, age I so i thought it. it's maybe like a honeymoon situation yeah, or yeah. you know away from the kids kind of mm-hmm. weekend because mm-hmm. we thought the same thing and we're like wait not everyone's old not everyone most of them yeah, but, not only yeah. old people like Groundhog Day. Mm-hmm. There's other people visiting Punxsutawney. Yeah, yeah. Right? well, it's so, a big festival, but it it's it's a great scene, and it just it's just it's super short, but it's just it's always been one of my no, favorite that's good. ones. <laughs> that's great. That is a good one. Um, okay, so my my number three is early on in the movie. Uh, he's trying to get out of town, uh, and he runs into the traffic jam. Yeah, and uh, he he says, uh, "Hey, Commander, uh, you know I got to get out of town," and the uh, State Trooper says, pal, you got the moisture on your head. He says, now you can go back to Puxitani, or you can go ahead and freeze to death. It's your choice. So what's it going to be? And after a long dramatic pause, he says, I'm thinking. Yeah, because Puxitani <laughs> might be worse than freezing, freezing to death, death on and the I just freeway. Thought the delivery and, the, and he's shaking, and I just thought that was... Oh yeah, well written and, and, and cleverly. D- yes, mm-hmm. it was awesome. You know what I've always wondered about that scene though is how did they get back to Punxsutawney? How did they turn around? Yeah, that turn around. truck is jackknifed. No one's going anywhere for hours. Mm-hmm. You, there's no exit or anything to get to the other side of the road, no. and that whole road was completely booked with cars. Just from my driving experience and traffic, I would tell you 
I don't know how they got out of there within six hours. I mean, they would have to clear out that truck. They would have to do, and you know, the roads filling up with snow. I mean, it just, it would have been a, a long version to get mm-hmm. back to Punxsutawney. Mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. but yeah, no, that's, that's a really good one. My number three is also after they came back to Punxsutawney from that scene and he's on the phone. Now I love his sarcasm early in the movie. He's much more sarcastic early on because he's obviously still narcissistic and egocentric. So later, I mean, he still has some narcissism and some sarcasm later, but early in the movie is the best part. And he's on the phone and he tells him on the phone, he says, he says, come on, all the long distance lines are down. He goes, what about the satellites? Is it snowing in space? <laughs> that line is perfect because he's so uh, passive aggressive towards the other person on the phone. And uh, just that person's got to feel you know silly on the other side. He's trying to explain something to this guy. And he's like, is it snowing in space? Because we know it isn't, right? So just the delivery and the sarcasm in that to me, I laugh every time. Then he gets hit with a shovel right after that. So that's good. <laughs> that's right. He does. <laughs> All right, so so uh, that brings us to Aubrey's number two, yeah. which good segue. That is my number two. <laughs> um, the the whole scene when he's in the yeah, it's not the gas station, or is it the yeah, gas station? Yeah, it's like a yeah. gas station. Yeah, he's in the gas station. But when he says, "Yes, is it snowing is in it space?" Snowing in space, and he's like, "But then his <laughs> isn't his added line." He's like. Don't you have one for emergencies or celebrities? Yeah, celebrities. And they're yeah. like, I'm a celebrity and it's an emergency. He goes, I'm <laughs> a celebrity both. in an emergency. In an emergency. Yeah. <laughs> Which is funny because he always refers to himself as a celebrity, but mm-hmm. really nobody local, else does. Yeah. A local. He's a local yeah. weatherman. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And then generally I'm not into slapstick, but then hit with the shovel kills yeah. me every time. Oh, and yeah. I'm not a big slapstick, but, no. and then just his face <laughs> afterwards. It's just like, cause he's being a jerk. He thinks he's smarter than uh-huh. everyone. He deserves to be hit in the face mm, he with does. a shovel. Yeah. So, yeah. And like I said, that's my number two. Yeah, it's, it's so good. The, yeah. the, just the way he delivers the, is it snowing in space? First yeah. time I ever heard that, I think I fell off the couch. It's, it was so funny. <laughs> I was like, I want to talk to people like that. I shouldn't. Right? But I do want to. <laughs> yeah. Because it's just such a good delivery, you know. So. Well, uh, my number two is a little more serious, but it's later on in the movie. It's Phil, Rita, they're in the, in the cafe. And Phil says... You think I'm acting like this because I'm egocentric? And she says, I know you're egocentric. It's your defining characteristic. And I thought that that was a real, uh, for, for me, that was a, a, a key a key point in the movie that, they're, you know, that, that is, that's who he is. He's egotistical. Yeah. And so the rest of the movie is him trying to be less yeah, so. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And get, and drop that, uh, that title. So, well, that's the part where then he starts walking around telling what he knows of everyone. Yes. And he says, this is Nancy. She works in the dress shop. She makes chipmunk noises when she gets real excited. So, yeah, so, so yeah he walks memorable. around. Yeah, that, yeah, that's a good one. I, I don't, I don't, that's not my most memorable because I'm more to the funny, but I understand why you, you put that in there. So, yeah. well, my number two is when he's doing his report for the first time with the groundhog day, uh, the groundhog out at Gobbler's Knob. Mm-hmm. And he does the first part of it. And then they got to do the groundhog where they pull him out. So he goes, they're showing it, and he's like, it's the same shtick every year. They come out with a big stick. They rap on the door. They pull the little rat out. They talk to him. <laughs> the rat talks back, and then we have the weather. And so it's just, and then right after that, he goes, and he goes, on me in three, two. And then he goes, this is one time where television really can't describe. Fails to capture. Fails <laughs> to capture the magic of a large squirrel giving the weather, right? And she goes, can we try it again without sarcasm? And he's like, we got it. We got and then it. They, he walks. I mean, he literally throws the mic and walks off. So well, that is where you say it defines the egocentric. Mm-hmm. That scene defines why he's in that mm-hmm. loop because it's just, 
it's beneath him. It's a waste of his time. He hates doing it, and he's just going to, we'll fix it in post, right, Rob? That's what he's telling the cameraman (laughs) when he talks about the rat and all these other things and the large squirrel predicting the weather. We'll fix it in post. So I think that's that's the same time. He he asks her if she likes men with the prominent upper teeth or something like that. (laughs) He also asks her when he gets her, he goes, how'd you sleep? Uh, sleep without me Uh, toss and turn I I do have a note on that he continuously through the whole movie sexually harasses her oh absolutely which would never fly now that's his producer like kind of his boss yeah yeah and and she kind of like oh and I was like wow that would not fly now (laughs) well the interesting thing about that is I don't think he knew her because at the TV station when they're leaving for Punxsutawney the deputy weather guy who's covering for him goes oh that's the new producer yeah. Rita I think you're really gonna like her mm-hmm. yeah this is and her, he immediately goes into predatory yeah. moves like I'm going after her mm-hmm. right so mm-hmm. yeah so oh no he's sexually harassing yeah. there's a good chance he's sexually harassing Chris Elliott's character <laughs> too <laughs> during the movie so yeah. and, uh, and possibly nice possibly some other people um, along the way so well, those are both good. Um, so before we reveal our number ones, uh, we're going to do our cut line, little segment we like to have some fun with. Uh, for this segment, we're each going to identify one moment or quote uh, or scene that just fell out of your top three. So this was your first, just couldn't quite make it, couldn't make a decision. We will then also do an honorable mention. And for this episode, the honorable mention is something, and this might be hard for Rob because he hasn't seen the movie as much, but something maybe you didn't notice the first time you watch it that you saw on later viewings, some situation, some comment, That's something fair. that made you think about the movie differently. So just like we've been doing, we'll start with Aubrey for her first cut. Okay, so my first cut was um, when he catches the kid falling out of the tree. Just his line on that when he's like, I'll see you tomorrow, maybe, because the kid doesn't thank him. He never. like literally catches him. You've he never thanked runs him. to catch him. And the kid's kind of laughing and he just puts him down and he just takes off. Mm-hmm. And I thought, I wonder if he actually, after that moment, like I'm assuming he is there every day to catch mm-hmm. him. Because you know in the beginning he's not because when the old man's in the hospital, the kid's in the background in he a wheelchair yeah. in a cast. Yeah. So, so he broke his leg. Oh, yeah, but it's before that. the scene. So you assume that. I uh, thought Subsequently, the... he does catch him every time. Because yeah, he's in the hospital. He's in the back. Oh. I think in the multiverse, that's George McFly falling out of that tree. <laughs> And he's catching him, and he's screwing Marty's plans all up because then he doesn't get hit by the dad. So you know things like that. Oh, okay. So my cut line uh, is: there's a scene. Oh, it's right after they he steals the groundhog, and Rita says, "Why would anyone want to steal a groundhog?" And Larry says, "I can think of a couple reasons." Pervert. So yes, Larry says that, and it's funny. <laughs> But who's the pervert here? Because Larry's first thought is that. <laughs> like Larry's mind is just as bad then because he doesn't think, oh, I can think of a few things. He thinks for a second goes pervert. Yeah. What is he thinking about? <laughs> like, I mean, I think I understand. But so I think Larry's brain is just as bad as Phil's at that point, right? Yeah. So, no, yeah, that's I, definitely. So I, It was very subtle and very sly. Oh, and, yeah. Chris Elliott's really good in this movie. Yeah. He's really funny. He's overshadowed, obviously, because Bill Murray, but he's he's really good. He's good in everything. He is good. That he's he's, he's always, always good comedy relief. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, my cut is, uh, it was hard to make it a cut. I really wanted it on the list, but it's just one of the days he's walking down the street. I think it's after he's starting to try to do more good things, and Ned runs up to him, and he <laughs> hugs him, and he says, uh, 
I don't know where you're headed, but can you call in sick? And Ned goes, uh, I'll see you later, buddy. And he takes off. Right. Um, I've always laughed at that because it's hilarious. But what makes it even funnier is I found out later, Bill Murray, that wasn't a script. He just did that. And the actor that's playing Ned, that's his reaction. Like they just both were, they both were improv guys. So he just went off of that. And then that was his answer. And he runs down the street. And I guess and the, way he, the way he runs off to this. Oh, yeah. <laughs> he doesn't swing his arms. He's, he's running hunched, off, over. hunched over. But I guess I, I would offset they must have just been dying laughing. Like Harold Ramis saw them filming. Like, because no one knew that was coming. And then they did it. It was just really good. It, it's really funny. So, so honorable mention. Honorable mention. Oh, okay. Um, My honorable mention, it's his errand day. But he he's sitting there. Oh, with the gust of wind. A dog barks. Oh, <laughs> yeah. And then he gets, it's the armored car. Yeah. He's, yeah. yeah. And then he's counting. It's like Adjust 10, your bra. nine, uh, yeah, 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 eight car. Like he knows exactly mm-hmm. the counting down steps. It's just funny because I, I just, the way he sits there and he's like, because we do that sometimes if it's super windy and we look outside gust and it's like wind. gust of wind. Yeah, gust of wind. And <laughs> around here, there's always a dog barking. It's like, and a dog barks. And a dog barks. So that's probably our most quotable yeah. in our family for mm-hmm. this movie. So. Well, and he says, uh, "Can I get a roll Felix of Felix with a not so bright look on your face. face. <laughs> right? And then he does that voice. He goes, "How you doing, Norris? Yep. <laughs> hey, Felix. So, yeah, he actually yeah, yeah. kind of That's mimics good. him. That's fine. Yeah. Uh, my honorable mention is a kind of it's when he's learning to play the piano, and it's not the first time he's his first set of lessons. It's his second time, and he's picked it up a little bit better." And the teacher says, not bad, Mr. Connors. You say this is your first lesson? And he says, yes, but my father was a piano, piano mover. mover. So, <laughs> yeah. And I just think it was, I, I don't it. know why I think that's funny. It it's just, hilarious. Because it, it makes no sense. It makes yeah. no sense. Like, who cares? <laughs> but he just delivers it really great. That'd be like you trying to do surgery and going, well, my dad's a doctor. Yeah, so there's that. <laughs> Doesn't matter. Yeah. But, no, that's yeah. a funny line. It's it very fast, and I just thought it was funny. Well, my honorable mention happens on what I've counted as the fifth of day. So every time the clock turns 6 a.m., we hear Sonny and Cher. Right? That song plays. On the fifth day, the only time Sonny and Cher doesn't play. When it goes that morning, Pennsylvania polka plays as soon as six o'clock hits. Mm. And it's the only time in the movie that it's something different than Sonny and Cher. So on the fifth day, he wakes up. It's the big dramatic where they show just the big clock numbers. And it comes down and crashes really loud. Pennsylvania polka starts playing right there, not uh, the Sonny and Cher song. And it's Mm. the only time in the movie when music plays with the alarm clock, that it's not Sunny and Cher. Mm-hmm. So oh, that cool. is my honorable mention. Honorable mention. So that takes us to our long-awaited number ones. So Aubrey, take it away. Okay, I cheated on this one a little bit because <laughs> that's okay. I do it every time. My number one is actually three scenes, oh. but they're all the diner scenes. Okay. So all okay. three of them. Okay. Because the one with all the food just cracks me up because he's sitting there. Yeah. <laughs> He's got That's all the, the one food, I remember you and he's eating about. sausage, oh, yeah. and he's Pays trying to give it to her, and yeah. and she's like, "Don't you worry about cholesterol." He's, he's like, "I don't worry about anything." As he's smoking, <laughs> yeah. the whole angel food cake in his mouth. It's yeah. just funny because he's is like, "I don't worry about anything." It's my like, two kids' favorite scene I is when he puts the day. angel food cake <laughs> yeah. all in his mouth. They have laughed their whole life yeah. on that. They think it's great. What? 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 Yeah. yeah. He puts well, he says, "I don't worry about anything anymore." Anymore. So that's great. And then. And then the whole when they're talking about, she's he's like, I think I'm a god. She's like, God. He's like, not the god, but a god. A god. <laughs> so just the whole, the, yeah. it's just a funny scene. Um, and then the other, what is the other? Oh, when they're talking about um, 
what's your perfect guy? He's trying to get to know her. Yeah, that's a good one. And yeah. she's listing all the things. He's like, me, me, me. <laughs> I'm pretty close on this. Um, yeah. Well, he uh, has some really good <laughs> lines in there. And he says, does he have to use the word, word poopy? poopy? Oh, yeah. yes. And then she gives another couple things. He goes, this is a man we're yeah. talking about, right? Oh, that's when she's like, and he's not afraid to cry. And he's <laughs> yes. like, this is a man. This is a man yes. we're talking but, about, um, right? And she also says, um, oh, and all these things. And he has a great body, but he doesn't have to look in the mirror every five minutes. He's like, I'll go a whole month without <laughs> looking in the mirror. Absolutely. <laughs> so, mm-hmm. so those three, it's like all the diner scenes. And you know, they just filmed them all at the same time. They're like, yeah. okay, mm-hmm. this is this scenario. But I just, every time I just sit and watch those and mm-hmm. they're just so, the banter back and forth is oh, very yeah. well done. Perfect. Very natural. It's just funny. Yeah, really so good. all three of them. So three and one. Three and one. <laughs> all right. I like that. That's my style. We're, we're <laughs> bending the rules a little yep. bit. I like Does it. that mean you're bending for your number one as well? No. Oh, okay. Well, no, okay. no, 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 no. <laughs> so mine is, my number one is the soup scene with the old man where he's at the diner and he's, he's, he gives up of his soup. The guy finishes it and he says here, you know, it's really hard to get down to the bottom there, you know, and, and then his next place, a plate of food comes out. And, and I just put, I think for me, that was really a, a, a cool scene because the man's last days were um, one of compassion and dignity. Um, and he, he was there with a friend and it was, you know, f- very different than because we were, tr- I was trying to count his interactions with the, with the uh, panhandler throughout the movies. Mm-hmm. And yeah, he ignores him, ignores him, ignores him, finally yeah. gives him money. And then, you know, so just that, I thought that was a really touching scene. And you then, know, and then the CPR that, yeah. you know, he's, he's giving CPR to a homeless man. Mm-hmm. That is, and it's a very intimate act. And, that's so different than what Bill Murray's character would have done early on. And I think yeah. that just showed his his evolution that he's willing to give CPR to a homeless guy yeah. that he, he wouldn't even have. Well, yeah. you know, this is a comedy. So you're making Aubrey and I look really basic <laughs> because we're just picking out the silly, funny scenes. That's the darkest like part of the movie. Out, yeah, the guy you're says picking poopy. out all of these like heartstring, like that's what I think it's about. Beautiful moments, and we're not even in that stuff. <laughs> I, I like when she throws the kid out of her because he offers her a thousand dollars for the piano, and you're talking about all this transcendent soup and all these other things. You're just making us look really like like our brains don't work. Like uh, we're. We just all we care about is slapstick humor. So thanks, well, we appreciate my, my that. My cutting room floor is rife with those things. Oh, right? Yeah. yeah. So that's why I said you're watching this from the serious dramatic view, <laughs> which I don't think any other human has done, but because it's a funny movie. <laughs> but I appreciate the uh, thought that you put into it. So, but it's just making us look like we just pick out all the silly stuff, <laughs> you know. Um, uh, well, my number one is again a scene with Ned Ryerson. It's the mm-hmm. first time he meets him. And I just love it because I would love to say this to people all the time. It says, he said, I'd love to stand here and talk to you, but I'm not going to. <laughs> and then he says, well, what are you doing for dinner? And he goes, something else. Something it's else. so good. Because, uh, yeah, I, I, that's just such a great – there's people you've talked to in your life where you would like mm-hmm. to give those answers. And proper etiquette tells us we don't get to give those answers. But in this, Bill Murray gets to. So I get to live vicariously through him and say – I would love to tell someone that on the street. I'd love to have dinner with you, but I'm not going to no. <laughs> at all. There's a, a similar scene in the in the uh, um, in the bed and breakfast where he, he the 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 innkeeper asks him a question about the weather or something. He goes on this di- this oh, big yeah. long description. Yeah. He goes, "Oh, did you really want to know, or did did you you want chit chat? Yeah, yeah. Oh, you know, she, she's just, just chit chat. Because like, yeah. most people be like, like, yeah, it might be cold today. <laughs> yeah, and he's like, all this moisture is going to come out of yeah. the east and push off to Altoona, and she's like, uh, all right. Yeah. But she's also the one where he goes, 
can I get an espresso or a cappuccino? She goes, well, I'd have to check with the, she goes, I'm not sure how to spell yeah. cappuccino. Yeah. Yeah. And he walks away guess, from her. So yeah. that was one of my cutting reports. Yeah. Did you ever, uh, did you ever have a uh, deja vu, Mrs. Right. Lancaster? She uh, thinks it's food. I don't think so, but I could check, check with, with the, the kitchen. kitchen. Right. She thinks it's food. So she's <laughs> she not the sharpest no pencil she's, in the box that lady. She's not. Right. <laughs> yeah. So. But and she I keeps said a it, good inn, apparently. She does. Yeah. Yeah, so. People like to go there because he won't stay at the nice hotel. Yeah. He wants to stay at the bread and breakfast. Although, the flea bag. I bet the ho- the hotel has hot water. Yeah. I don't still to this day understand I don't that. either. She, he says, there's no hot water. Oh, there wouldn't be any today. It's literally the biggest day of the year <laughs> in that town. Groundhog Day. Yeah. Everyone is there. Like everyone from the state around the United States comes to visit this. And that's the day she doesn't well, have hot water. Yeah. And, well, and it seems her like bed they're full. Like, yeah. they're, full they're completely up. full. Well, and Rita makes it sound like this is an upgrade. Yeah. Right. Like a major upgrade. She yeah. goes, oh, no, no. I, I don't agree with I that. got you this, you know, I got you yeah. the, oh, this is good. No. So. And he I'm says off. her place is yeah. like a flea bag. Flea bag. And I'm like, it looks pretty no. nice to me. The bar's nice oh, downstairs. So, that's that's right. where they have the big party at the end. I will always stay at a hotel over bed and breakfast. Bed and breakfast, I'm basically staying in someone's bedroom. <laughs> and then they're feeding me the next morning. And I'm hanging out with like 50 other people I don't know or maybe want to hang out with. And the Whereas, shared bathroom. Yeah. And the crappy oh. bathroom that apparently has no hot water <laughs> for whatever reason. And at the other hotel, if I don't want to visit with anyone or do anything, I just have my own space. Oh. So I'm not staying at a bed and breakfast. Okay, so I should ask this at the beginning, but uh, the character that he meets at the top of the stairs, I noticed it, they refer to him as the Italian. Is that his name in the credits? Yeah, I think so. Oh, I've never seen that. I didn't notice on the credits. They do have that scene where they he just seems like Italian, a but that's because character. Bill Murray's yeah, Phil's Connor's speaking Italian to he him. Says, her, yeah, he goes, but that's because yeah. Phil says it to him first. So is your expectation you think he's Italian because he doesn't speak Italian? No. no, he just says. He says you're heading off to see the groundhog. That's all he says. Yeah. But yeah. they might have referred to him in the credits that way just because they yeah. do that one Maybe. little part. I don't know. Yeah, it's possible. Know. Anyway, that was off the topic. Well, I got one last scene that I just couldn't get in, but I, I really liked is when he first, the first day again, he comes up to do the report and Rita goes, oh, it's so great. Everyone's been out here all night. They stand by the fire. They go back out and dance, <laughs> yeah. and they get back by the fire again. He goes, yeah, they're Hicks, Rita. They're Hicks. <laughs> it's such a good line. I knew where you were going Like, with the that. Hicks yeah. is so good. Like, he just, it, that's the peak, again, of his narcissism mm-hmm. that everyone's beneath him in this town, all these, like, rubes or something. And he's just like, yeah, they're Hicks, Rita. So, but, uh, I mean, I could go on forever. I left mm-hmm. other ones off. The one where he says, well, it's Groundhog Day. Again, you know, so because he doesn't yeah. know what to do with it and it's all confusing. One of mine that didn't, because it was all visual, is when he shows up and, and she's getting his, she's getting him all mic'd up and she goes, you're, you're missing all the fun. And the look on his face as he, he scans the crowd and he's like, oh, yeah. this is, this is not fun. But he thinks none of it's not no. his idea. No. <laughs> she says, are you going to see the groundhog for, di- oh, I had groundhog for lunch. Tastes like chicken. <laughs> so, so good. Well, uh, anything else? No, I think no, I think, think we, we've done a pretty oh, good we might deep have dive. Over analyzed that. Oh, We're gonna oh, give people oh, a lot I of things to think Aubrey's about. Aubrey's got more. I've got one, and oh. I, it's kind of like a new thing since we. Mm-hmm. Okay, so I want to know. Obviously, he's had thirty-three, what, thirty-four years to learn all these, everything about all these people. How is it though that from there the townspeople, they've only known him for the one day. How does everyone love him so much? There's no way he got to all those people individually that one day enough that they love him so much. Like I get like the mayor's wife because she saved his life. Right. But yeah. like 
everyone else acts like they've known him for the 30, like, oh, he's the best and all that stuff. I'm like, he's yeah, literally the waitress, been there a day. Yeah, the waitress, uh, Dora, is that her name? Dor- Doris. Doris. Or Doris like, bids on him because she's like, I got 10 bucks, says you're mine. Yeah. yeah. All he did was go to the cafe and eat. Uh, yeah. They didn't show anything yeah. else. Well, and but, the lady who says Dr. Connors and yeah. stuff, and then she's like, oh, he can help around the house and all that stuff. I mean- well, she said he fixed yeah. Felix's back. Well, yeah. right, but it's like, would you just let a stranger like? Yeah, I got fix, you. You know what I mean? It just yeah. seems like, wait, well, how come everyone else seems to mm. know him and love him mm-hmm. so much after? Well, yeah, I a think in day. I think in movie circles they had to conveniently wrap this well, thing I up. Know. So I know. <laughs> this is like we. I think it's part of the story they're trying to tell that he becomes so beloved that Rita's like, oh wow, yeah. like how does everyone yeah. know? I thought you hated mm-hmm. it here, mm-hmm. but I will caveat this for my last thing. At the end, he says, let's move here. Oh, no. If I got yeah. out of that loop, I couldn't get out of Punxsutawney yeah. fast enough. I'm not taking any chances that this thing starts over again. Right. I'm getting to Pittsburgh. I'm getting to St. Louis. I'm getting somewhere that's mm-hmm. not here, uh, no matter how nice it is, yeah. because I just cannot take a chance that we're going to end up in a secondary loop mm-hmm. uh, that, for whatever reason. That's why they're going to rent. Though. I don't care about the renting. <laughs> oh, yeah, he does, he does say that. We'll, we'll, rent. we'll rent. We'll rent it first. So. But. Well, well, I think. Yeah, if you haven't seen Groundhog Day, we probably gave you all of it. So, uh, and a good synopsis, and maybe some things to ponder that you probably didn't need to ponder or didn't want to. <laughs> you just want to listen to Bill Murray be funny and, and move on. Or, you know, as Rob watched it, like you're watching Terms of Endearment or some sort of, <laughs> you know, tearjerker, uh, maybe you get the more uh, deep meaning of the movie. But uh want to thank Aubrey for being our first guest. Uh, you did a great job. No, thanks. It was fun. Yeah. Yeah, we'll do it again. Yes. 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 We'll uh, we'll find something else to uh, bring you back and uh, hopefully have a little more fun. So you got, you got to convince Kurt to come. Oh, he will. We don't have okay. to convince him. He's coming on. Yeah. He just, he's doing it. Okay. Yeah, he's gonna do it. The Nick Cage trilogy in the future. That's his. That's his <laughs> moment to shine right there. So, um, well, that brings us to the end of this episode of Totally Eighties and Nineties Recall. We hope you've enjoyed reminiscing about the movie Groundhog Day. What did we get right or wrong, or did we miss something altogether? Let us know on Twitter or our website, which are both included in the show notes. You can also email us at totally80s90s at gmail.com with comments or show ideas you'd like to hear in the future. Any emails we like or that we find interesting, we may read on future episodes. And finally, if you like the podcast, please hit that subscribe button, like the show, and share it with your friends. That will help the show grow. So what's our homework for next time? Our homework for next time is going to be the top love songs of the 1980s. Oh. All right. So All right. the the next two episodes will coincide with Valentine's, Valentine's Day. Day. So starting with the next one, we're going to celebrate everyone's love of Valentine's Day okay. by reviewing the top our top love songs of the 1980s. Perfect. Perfect. Anything else, Aubrey? Uh, nope. I got Anything nothing. Else? Nope. I got nothing. Fancy goodbye? No fancy goodbye. All right. We're out. Peace out. Bye.